Well, I've come home. Anybody else here come home? That's good. Um, you know, the, the gift of, biblically, the gift of the prophetic is to do a number of things, but one of, or a couple of those things that the prophetic word does is it's to encourage people and to build them up um, or to give them comfort. And I say that for some of you who may not understand what I'm about to do, but I've, as I was worshiping, the Lord pointed a couple people out, and I just want to speak a word over them, and hopefully it's a word of uh, encouragement or building them up uh, or to give them comfort. And Chris Brittingham, when I saw you right there. Will you stand up here? I want to give you a word, brother. Um, Chris is a son of the house. Many of you know his mom and dad and his family members. Chris is with us, and he just graduated uh, from the SEALs. Stand up, stand up. Stand up. <clears throat> I get to embarrass the mush out of you this morning, brother. You think Hell Week was tough, right? <laughs> well, Chris is, will be, uh, or is in the process of being assigned to a SEAL team. And uh, what I sense the Lord saying is that um, God really has made you a warrior, but a warrior for the kingdom. And um, God is planting you in the midst of a number of other people and the influence and the impact that you're going to have on both your enemies uh, and your comrades will be enormous if you will step across the chicken line, uh, meaning step across those places where you're uncomfortable and simply speak a word. God's going to put an anointing of a word, his word, on you that will pull down strongholds and drive men and women into the kingdom. Some of you who are around him, Mike and others, uh, stand up and let's just pray um, God's uh, fulfillment of, of what his, that word. God, thank you for Chris. Thank you for his mom and dad. Thank you for the DNA that is um, in his veins. And God, we pray for your protection over him, uh, not just this morning, but all the days of his life. Lord, we know that he has chosen an occupation that will put him uh, by choice in harm's way. But God, I pray that you would build around him um, a wall of fire and a a hedge of protection, that no uh, evil could come against him, but rather what you have sown in his heart would be brought to fruition as he speaks your word and encourages people around him. God, let him see with his eyes, let him sense with, it, with his heart that anointing that uh, comes from you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Chris, for letting me embarrass you. <laughs> um, Well, this one seems sort of funny because um, Sarah Northup, if you'd stand up. Um, <clears throat> Sarah is living with us this summer, and she has a couple of years ago, but it's not because of that that I had her stand up. The Lord said, you do this. And uh, Sarah is um, she's a worshiper. You're a worshiper. And uh, when I looked at you this morning, I saw yellow stripes, yellow and stripes. And I thought... <laughs> well, that's really weird. And the Lord said, no, she's a honeybee. And what that means is God has put, is putting on you an anointing to draw people to himself like honey draws the bees. And um, I don't know what that means, so God's going to have to you know, do what he does. But let's just stand up some of you and pray for her that God would... Um, 
And see, these words are for everybody, by the way. That's for me, too. And so God right now, for Sarah, uh, the honeybee, God, we pray that you would release a fresh anointing (laughs) on her life, God, that would draw men and women to yourself. Lord, these are the days of Elijah. These are the days of the kingdom of God being expanded and extended upon the earth. So, God, I pray for her and for those around her and for those who know her and for those who will come to know her, Lord, that she would be instrumental, God, to bring people to yourself in these days, that she would not have to strive or labor, but simply rest in the, in the cultivation of the heart of worship, and that would draw the bees to the honey, which is Jesus. So, God, let that come about as it serves your highest purposes in these days and in this area, in this region. Give her connections. Give her networks. God, fulfill every dream that you've placed in her heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all started getting giggly there for a minute. I saw Kleist Rhodes here. Kleist, where are you? I saw you earlier. Is Tommy with you? Or are you by yourself? There's Tommy. I'm sorry. <laughs> Stand up. I got something for you guys. The Lord said, just pray for them. And uh, Tommy and Kleist, many of you know them. And uh, I just sense the Lord said that He's really put something in your heart. You've you've made some steps uh, to lay your lives before Him. But more so than that, I mean, that's always the door that opens the Holy Spirit. And uh, I just sensed when I saw Christ walk in, I said, where's Tommy? I didn't see Tommy, but there you are now. That God's put something in your hearts that he's going to accomplish in days that are yet future. And you will impact uh, not just tens and hundreds, but thousands of people because of Jesus in you. And he's releasing something fresh within you. Uh, to give, to impart the bread of life to those who will be drawn to you, sort of like the honey, but this is the bread kind of. God said you're his word. He's the bread. He's going to draw hungry people to you, and you're going to be able to fill them and feed them uh, with the word that is from heaven. And so uh, some of you stand around, Virginia and others stand up, and let's put your hands on them. And, and God, we love Tommy, and we, we love Christ, and we thank you for their lives And, uh, Lord, you have sent them away, and it would appear that you're bringing them back for purposes that probably they don't even fully understand, but you do. And so, God, we just pray blessings upon them. We pray, Lord, that your word and spirit would be released with strength through them, and that men and women would come to a greater revelation of who Jesus, you, the King, really are. Bless them and encourage them today, and thank you, God, for them now and the purposes that you have in your heart that you're going to bring about through them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, bless the Lord. Well, let me move forward because, you know, once you get rolling like this, God just gives stuff. So let me uh, move forward with the word that he shared with me to share this morning, and Um, We have been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is, in fact, the greatest sermon ever preached. Um, And that seeming a little bit too presumptuous to put on our marquee out front, 
it was said, the greatest sermon Jesus ever preached. Well, we, that is, in fact, what we're talking about. This is the sermon that Jesus actually preached, and it's found, as most of you know, and I've encouraged you to be reading it in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Not just reading it, but meditating through it. Slow down and ruminate, chew, if you will, the words that are there in their life. Um, well, this sermon on the mount uh, is also called the Discourse on the Hill by some, or the Sermon on the Mount, and it's that that we're going to talk about um, this morning. And uh, last week, Jim Glasgow shared another piece of that, and the week before that, I started with the first of six contrasts uh, that we find um, in the Word in Matthew uh, chapter 5. And the first uh, contrast that we find. And for any of you who are wondering if, if Jesus' words are relevant or if Jesus' words are, are personally or presently applicable, pay attention this morning. Uh, because last week or two weeks ago, we looked at the first contrast where Jesus said, uh, you have heard it said in times of old, thou shalt not murder. Um, but I say to you, whoever is angry uh, without cause, and we talked about anger and contempt and destructive talk, which Jesus was saying uh, are the seedbed, is the seedbed out of which murder happens. Now, we're living in a culture where we're seeing lots of evidences of men and women who drastically and critically need the kingdom of God in them. And we see lots of religious people who don't understand that trying to work their way to God. And this first one, murder, uh, some of you may have heard the name uh, James Foley. Anybody? Some of you have watched the news. James Foley uh, was actually um, an American journalist uh, who was very recently, in fact this week, um, dramatically, uh, horrendously, a horrific um, act of taking his head off by um, ISIS, an ISIS soldier. Um, that begins to bring the issue of murder today to us. Now, what Jesus was saying is that it is true, um, you've heard it said, that thou shalt not murder. And when I saw this image, and some of you, have any of you seen that image before? That's the first frame of the video of his decapitation that went viral around the earth. My anger and my hatred rose up when I saw that. Now what Jesus is saying is that uh, if you don't commit murder we can feel pretty proud about ourselves. I've never killed anybody. But Jesus raised the bar in the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, whoever is 
angry. Whoever has contemptuous talk is guilty of that same act. Now, what Jim Glasgow shared last week is, therefore, the necessity of kingdom men and women walking in the love of God and receiving His forgiveness and then by a sheer act of sacrifice and mercy extending that forgiveness to other people. See, that's the kingdom heart that Jesus is talking about. Uh, So as we move forward uh, through the Sermon on the Mount, we come to the second um, comparison. And let me actually read it uh, to you or contrast which comes from Matthew chapter 5. And uh, this time it's not about uh, murder and anger, but it's about this subject of fantasized desire. Uh, Now, verse 27 of Matthew chapter 5, let me read, begin reading. And he says, Now you have heard that it was said in times of old, uh, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman in order to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, therefore, uh, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it's better, it is more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. Verse 30, And if your right hand causes you to stumble or to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members should perish uh, than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, at this point, everybody's kind of going, <laughs> you know, who, who then can, stay, can stand? You see, the contrast Jesus is making here is between those who commit the physical act of adultery and those who have fantasized desire and, and presume that that is okay. Now, if you take, and we'll get to this point in just a minute, but if you take Jesus' words literally, if our eye causes us to sin, pluck it out, and if our hand causes us to sin, cut it off, we would all look like the walking dead. Hello? Unless there are some Pharisees among us, because I've never sinned by adultery, I've never sinned by murder. Let's see, Jesus is saying, yes, we have. We have murdered and we have committed adultery. Now, here's a text. You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever looks with intent has already, and lust in his heart has already committed adultery with her. Now, we're going to talk about what this means, obviously. Now, the law concerning adultery is very clear, and it comes from um, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, I think it's verse uh, 13 and 14. Jesus said... That is Moses. God said through Moses, there thou shalt not commit um, adultery. Now, uh, strictly speaking, adultery then prohibits a married man or woman, person, from having sexual relations with someone other than his or her spouse. I'm defining the word adultery. Strictly speaking, that's what it means. 
Now, as with murder, what Jesus is talking about with, as with murder, adultery is an absolute prohibition under the law. If you murder, you're guilty of the whole law. If you commit adultery, you're guilty before the whole, of the whole law. Uh, and what Jesus then is speaking... Now, remember, Jesus is, is on the hill, and he's talking about... Uh, that the kingdom of God is available for everyone. Uh, that the kingdom of God is now at hand. And Jesus is talking about what it means to have a transformed heart. You see, the mere fact that one does, does not murder does not mean that you're in right relationship with your fellow man or woman. Uh, in fact, anger and contempt in the heart is what murder is. So just because you haven't literally murdered someone doesn't mean you're in right relation with people around you. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's taking the law and he's driving it into a more personal level so that every person sitting on that hill or standing in the shadows around him who hear it understand that when he said the kingdom of God is now at hand and is available to every person who will simply recognize that, that the invitation is to change your mind and to allow Him to change your heart and let Jesus begin to rule kingdom in your heart and transform you into the person that He wants you to be. Now, likewise, because one does not commit physical adultery doesn't mean that you're in right sexual relation with the people around you. Just because you have not committed the physical act of adultery doesn't mean, sexually speaking, you're in right relationship with your fellows. Now, let's drive it forward just a little bit more. The context here is that Jesus is preaching about the kingdom of God. He's teaching what it means to live in the present rule of the king. In other words, it means he's trying to drive home to people that God wants to actually rule, but not from an external perspective. Uh, and if you are saying, well, I haven't murdered, and I haven't committed adultery, and I haven't uh, borne false witness, etc., people can begin to strut their chest a little bit and say, well, I'm pretty good and become arrogant and self-centered and prideful. And that's what the scribes and that's what the Pharisees, in fact, were doing. They had not committed the physical acts and they were presuming that they were in right relationship with God. And Jesus said, oh no, the kingdom of God is about the heart. It's not about the externals. Uh, so it's a heart issue, the heart that's ruled by the king. Is the king, rhetorical question, ruling in your heart? related to anger and contempt and your choice of words toward other people, even your enemies? And is the king, secondly, ruling in your heart uh, related to how you look at people of the opposite sex? That's the question of the kingdom. Now, it is possible... Not, therefore, to do a specific act like 
murder and adultery and still have your heart outside the realm of the kingdom. You see, that's a picture of the religious heart. The religious spirit of the day says, well, I'll just do a few things and I'll wear a robe like the scribes and Pharisees and we'll make our phylacteries, our our big tassels long and wide and we'll walk around knowing that we've never killed anybody, knowing that we've not had the physical act of adultery and everybody will be, we'll just, we will, we're the it. And Jesus said, oh, yeah, yeah, you're it. You see, it's about, it's about heart, gentlemen. It's about heart, ladies. It's about if the king is ruling in your heart. That's where this thing goes. That's what the kingdom heart is all about. Now, Jesus spoke to those then uh, who had their heart far from him. And he said, these people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their gums, their lips. Bless Jesus. Hallelujah. But he said their hearts is far from me. In other words, there's no kingdom influence in their life, in their heart. The king is not governing the activity at the, at the most fundamental and personal level of an individual's life. That's the kingdom. Uh, now, he went on in Matthew chapter 15, in verse 18 and following, he said, but those, uh, those things which proceed out of the mouth actually come from the heart. Remember? Anger and contempt and destructive words. Those things actually come from the heart, and that's what defiles a man, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. And this is what Jesus just taught on. Murder, uh, adulteries, fornications, etc., etc. And then he said, these are the things which defile a man. Now, so far, you, you go, wow, this must... Isn't this works? And Jesus is actually communicating the very opposite of works. He's communicating that each one of us fundamentally must have a heart transformation. Unless a man is born again from the Spirit above, he or she will not see nor enter into the kingdom. That's what he's talking about. So he's, he's drawing people to understand what the kingdom is really like. And the kingdom of God is chiefly advanced from heart to heart. The kingdom doesn't come with outward signs and, and eventually someday it will. But the kingdom of God comes as a person receives Jesus the king and begins to allow him to rule there. It's the rule of God that Jesus is teaching people about. Now, what Jesus, I think, once, once those on the hill, uh, during his teaching to understand, is that God really does change hearts, and you can uh, train your heart in rightness or righteousness. Um, you say, wow, this is, this is crazy. I'll never be able to measure up. Well, yeah, but it's the king in you. You see, it's Jesus in you. It isn't us trying harder. It's Him in us. The kingdom within is what transforms the heart. Now, let me give you a couple negative examples, and we'll sort of move toward the end here. Um, Fantasized desire is a habit. I've done it. And I've been uh, verbal and public about that. You see, fantasized desire is a habit, and it's a choice. Can everybody say choice? 
choice. We're not talking about a man or a woman's uh, sexual, well, I guess the word would be libido. You know, you're just na- the natural desire, um, the urge to merge. If you know what I mean. We're not, we're not talking about that. And nor was Jesus beating people up for being human. He wasn't beating people up because God has given us the sexual urge. Can anybody say amen to that? You see, the question is what we do with it. And when we indulge it and fantasize about people outside of the realm that He's given us dominion over, our own relationship with husband or wife, that becomes a choice. And when we indulge it, it what? The fantasy toward another person. When we indulge that, when we coddle that, when we desire the desire and fan the flame, that then is what adultery in the heart looks like. One click of the mouse. Not only is it fantasized, but now we are bombarded with images. Not just thoughts, not just feelings, not just mental images, but images that just bombard us at a huge level. Now here's what I having just said that, everyone here, I want you to recognize something That is a choice. That, when it is indulged, produces what Jesus was communicating. Adultery in the heart. Now let's give another negative example, talking about anger. Anger and contempt and destructive words are also a choice. Now we're not talking about the anger that just happens and flashes before us when somebody cuts you off in traffic. I mean, that's a source of, of anger. Or somebody hurts your feelings and you kind of bow up and you, you, know, you feel taken advantage of. That's not what we're talking about. Jesus, again, is not beating people up for either having sexual desires that are appropriate or angry feelings because Jesus, through Paul later, said, be angry but don't sin. You see, anger is a, is a God-given method of bringing correction, uh, bringing um, proper navigation through our interpersonal relationships. However, when we uh, indulge our anger and when we allow it to, when we ruminate in that anger that we have toward another person, that can often become contempt and destructive words. And that's what Jesus said is murder in the heart. At that point, we go, yep, it's me, it's me. It's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I, you know, I need the King then to come in and transform my heart. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Here's the point. You see, if we, if we fantasize and make a habit, we commit adultery. If we fantasize and indulge our contempt and destructive words, that's anger and murder. But when our heart interacts with God, See, this is the point. When, the, when we have an interactive relationship with the king, when the king comes in, when the king begins to assert his rule in our heart, and when we then indulge that relationship, when we enjoy that relationship, when we celebrate that relationship, when we take a little bit of time out of our busy day and simply spend time 
here's the word, indulging. You're going to either indulge the king and that creates a kingdom heart or you indulge other things and that is what then creates the difficulties in our lives. You follow what I'm saying? This, I think, is the chief um, point that Jesus is making through His discourse on the hill. He's not beating people up for being angry at times. He's not beating people up for having sexual, natural sexual urges. That's what the church does. How dare you be human? I know. See, this is an effortless thing where Jesus says, you know, come on in. Um, the kingdom of God is for everybody. And how you get in is to repent. And that means to change something. To change how you're thinking. Oh, it's no longer about me and my urges. Either my anger or my lust. It's really about the king. And when we change our mind, God begins to change our heart. And by and by, he gives us a kingdom heart. And it's a transformational issue. Christians are not primarily known or shouldn't be because they're religious. Christians should be known primarily because they've been transformed. Now, here's the way you get transformed. God gives you a heart, but you're walking in that transformed heart and all of a sudden you trip. Anybody know trip? You, know, you, you do something stupid like, oh, you see somebody and you go, ooh, hi, chihuahua. And about ten frames later, you realize you're someplace you shouldn't be. You see, you've fallen over something. Now, the kingdom heart can say, Oh, God, forgive me for that. Thank you for the finished work of Jesus. Thank you that you would take a man like me and deal with my anger as I present it to you, as I present my heart to you. Thank you that you will take my fantasized uh, tendency and begin to transform it if I will... Everybody say, choose not to indulge it. Not to indulge it. You see, that's the kingdom heart that Jesus is talking about. Jesus exposes. Now, here's, I'm going to end with this. Here's where Jesus exposes the absurd logic of the religious mind. This is absurd. Uh, this is verse 29 and 30. He said, okay, <clears throat> Sitting on the hill, you know, uh, talking to everybody, hanging out. You've heard it said in times of old, you shall not kill. I say, don't be angry and contemptuous, blah, blah, blah. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, you know, deal with your lust. Let God begin to transform that. And then he says this. Knowing that the religious people had been pounded by the religious folk. And Jesus begins to, to expose the absurd logic of, of thinking that somehow if you can keep yourself from killing someone... Has anybody ever said that phrase? I like to kill. I could kill. Come on. I could kill. I... See, the religious folk were saying, if I can keep myself from killing anybody, I'll be okay. See, and that is... The Latin is reductive. Ad absurdum. In other words, you reduce the concept of, of being righteous by not killing somebody to the absolute absurdity of it. And that's what Jesus is beginning to talk to about the people. It goes like this. Right actions, rightness of heart by your actions... If you can keep yourself from killing somebody, then it's logical uh, to gouge out your eye. To keep from lusting for somebody. 
It's logical, by extension, to cut your hand off if your hand causes you to want to murder somebody. It's pushing the logic to the extreme of absurdity. Everybody close your eyes for a minute, real tight. Real tight, nobody peeking. Now, you can open them again. But if I wanted to say, think of a seductive image with your eyes shut, no eyes involved, the obvious is that you could still do it. Gouging out the eye doesn't change the fantasy of the heart. So religious folk, if you think you by not killing or not lusting for somebody, then just go ahead and pluck out all your eyes and cut off your hands and you'll roll into the kingdom, you know, without any anything, because that is not going to help anything. It doesn't change the heart. You see, what changes the heart is the kingdom of God comes near to us. And that's where Matthew 4.17, Jesus came preaching, the kingdom of God is now at hand. It's available for everyone. Well, that means I, don't have, I can't murder and I can't... That means you offer your heart to Jesus. And when you invite Him into the circumstances of your greatest struggle, God begins to transform your life, your heart, your attitudes, and your actions by giving to Him your heart. You can't wash the outside of the cup and hope to make the inside clean. You offer the inside of the cup and the outside becomes clean. Now that makes sense to us. But this, this reduction uh, of the absurd is that the absurdity is to think you cannot lust by gouging out your eye or, or because lust is a choice. Do you know people who love Jesus can still make that choice? How's that possible? I still got flesh. And all I need to do is linger and indulge. And pretty soon, the old man is walking in his or her old ways rather than the kingdom of God being expressed through us. See, that's, Jesus is just making this simple. Present your heart to Him. Present your heart to Him. The absurdity to think that you... Uh, could not murder by cutting off your hand. You see, the seeds of murder uh, are anger and contempt indulged in the heart. God's after the heart. Now, notice something about each of these absurdities. Lust being a choice creates a habit pattern, which is by definition a stronghold. Anger, by definition, when it's indulged, becomes a habit pattern. And a stronghold is a habit pattern of thinking or habit pattern of feeling that you're no longer in control of. It's in control of you. See, that's the definition of any addiction. Jesus was very relevant and he was very practical in his teaching in this discourse on the hill or the sermon on the mount. Now, the kingdom of God then is at hand and it is available to every person. It's available to the most angry person. Is anybody here glad for that? The kingdom of God is available to every person regardless of how angry you are. How deeply entrenched the habit pattern of your anger and contempt is. The kingdom of God is available to you. So Jesus wasn't beating people up for being angry. The kingdom of God is in fact about changing our mind 
believing the gospel, changing our heart, allowing Him to change our heart so that Jesus will rule in the inner recesses of your heart because Jesus really is enough. Jesus really forgives me when I'm angry. Jesus really does forgive me when I inappropriately lust. And God graciously, he, now He doesn't say, I'm going to forgive you, so therefore you just continue to do. No, He's saying, Steve, why don't instead of that, you draw your heart closer to me and let me fulfill your deepest intimacy desires. You see, when there is anger, contempt, we, uh, He will be in us the love that we need to change our mind, when we change our mind. When there is fantasized desire, He will be uh, enough. He will be the one who meets our intimacy needs if we allow Him to do that. We simply, our responsibility is to change our mind, to repent. Not because you're some sicko sinner, which you are. <laughs> but Jesus has already forgiven us. He's already loved us with an everlasting love. And He's simply saying, people whom I have loved, come and now give your heart completely to Me so that I can give you a new one, a new heart. A, I will take the heart of stone out of you and I'll give you a heart of flesh. Not meaning the old flesh, but a, a, a heart that's moldable and open to the Spirit of God. You see, beloved, some of you are entrenched in anger. God said, I understand that. Just bring your heart. Some of you are entrenched in pornography. I know that. Uh, some of you are entrenched in, you know, those kinds of things. But here's the deal. You can beat yourself up till Jesus comes, or you can simply present to Him your heart. It's a choice. One day at a time. And as you present your heart to Him, He who lives in the heart will begin to control the center of your will. The center of who you are. Now, Jesus will always be in us exactly what we need Him to be when we need it. We simply allow Him to rule. Does this make sense to anybody? See, Jesus wasn't talking about beating people up for being human. He, or, he was talking to those who thought they were righteous and holy because they hadn't killed anybody or hadn't committed physical adultery. And Jesus said, oh, no, we're all in big trouble unless we give to the king our heart and the king begins to rule then in that place of our heart. Well, worship team, why don't you come? I'm actually finished. Now, I just want to pray for you for a minute. Uh, and then I want to tee up uh, something. So let's just pray for a minute. And here's, as we have a few minutes as we're ending. See, here's the good news. You and I can really discern our heart. Because the Spirit of God is in us, we can discern what's really in our heart. If you don't like what's coming out of your mouth, if you don't like what's coming out of your heart, let God change it. Simply invite Him into that place of your heart and ask Him to begin to make the change that you're unable to do. It's a novel idea, isn't it? It's really pretty effortless if we'll simply yield or surrender our heart uh, to the King. Well, let's pray for just a minute. Father, just as we take a moment and just with the music, I don't know, in the background, it just reminds us that your love is so enormous. 
Lord, you know us exactly as we are. And there is no part of us that simply wants to be religious and live an external life. Would you take a moment and invite Jesus the King to come into the area of your greatest struggle, whatever that is. Do that with the understanding that when you genuinely and authentically present your heart to the King, the kingdom of God is always brought to bear at that point. Lord, we thank you for the blood of Jesus as we sang earlier. It's amazing that you would forgive people like us, the commoners, that the kingdom of God is for us. And as we come and yield to you, the king, that kingdom is established more and more profoundly in our lives. Holy Spirit, would you touch each one of us as it serves your purpose today? See, my responsibility is to yield. His responsibility is to change. Yeah, Lord, we surrender all of our heart and our life to you. Lord, in our most vulnerable and truthful state, we know that we're a mess most of the time. But Lord, thank you that you said where sin doth abound, grace doth more abound. Let the gracious work of Jesus the King be imparted to each one of our hearts on this day. Lord, thank you that you're doing a kingdom work in us. Thank you that you're patient with us, you're gracious, you're kind. Thank you that you forgive us when we come to you and ask. God, thank you that by the finished work of the cross, Jesus, you have determined to make us a people who are holy, not in our human works, but because of the righteousness of Jesus that is ours. We bless you and we thank you today. God just showed me a picture of just hundreds of hearts being lifted up before the Lord. Meaning God sees the struggle and the places of your struggle in your heart. Many of you have just just sort of lifted that and surrendered that heart to Him. And uh, God sees that. And God honors that. And God says that today the kingdom of God has come to bear. Lord, give us the confident hope, the certain assurance that as we yield to you, that you are enough. 
that we are men and women of the kingdom and you are in residence in our heart of hearts. Let the blessings of God the Father, the grace of Jesus, the Savior, the Son, the Lord. And Father, would you let the community and intimacy of your Holy Spirit continue to grip our heart of hearts for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Now before we slip out, many of you may have received the email. But it went out late, granted, inviting some of you who could to stay after I dismiss you to pray. Let me show you where we're going to pray and then we'll dismiss and those of you who need to leave can do that. Um, I was still on that little that sermon, that end uh, ending, Jim. I want to. I tell you what, just go back to that, to that, um, the prayer point one. Okay, let's see what we got here. You see that little sign right there? Some of you may have seen it in the news. That's an Arabic letter N. The nun in Arabic and it's being used now uh, to what it comes from is in the Quran those who have received Jesus um, are those who follow the Nazarene the Nasara and those who have followed Jesus in an Islamic country are now being given that letter N. That letter N is being written on their house. Um, today, after we close our service, I want to invite any of you who can stay for 15 or 20 minutes to stay, and those of you who need to leave, you should feel free to leave. But I'm inviting any of you who would like to pray and join us for a season of prayer to identify with and pray for Christian brothers and sisters being persecuted in Iraq. We alluded to earlier ISIS. We want to pray not only for those who have been killed and murdered in Iraq and in Syria by this Islamic state, but we want to pray for those who are the enemies of free people, followers of the Nazarene. We'll take about a 15-minute break here, and our prayer time will be brief. After about 10 minutes, we'll reconvene. If two of us or three of us or ten of us are here, that's okay. God just said you need to pray uh, for those uh, who, will be, who are experiencing incredible uh, persecution. I don't know if you can see this picture, but in the news, uh, there are people called uh, the Yazedi, different pronunciations. These are people who are being pictured. They're the Kurds. Kurds are one people. And the Yazidi are another people. And the press is saying that these are, well, these are just secular people. This is not a religious war. These people are holding up. We are Yazidi. And see the end? We're followers of the Nazarene. God wants you to know that you have brothers and sisters on the other side of the world who are followers of the same Jesus that you follow. These are Christian Yazidi. These are, these are people in, in Iraq and in Syria 
and people all over the world now are coming into intense persecution and this little this little N letter is being painted on their door in order to mark them for extortion uh, to pay money so they wouldn't be killed or in some places uh, exported and in some circumstances exterminated the little N noon standing for Nasara has become very quickly what many of you may remember the yellow star of the Second World War. These are our brothers and these are our sisters. So we're going to pray in about 10 minutes and let's just stand and we'll be dismissed. And if you can, you need to slip out, you certainly need to feel free to do that. But I just want to offer an ending prayer. It's about 9 after 12. Just pray for you and pray for them and then we'll be dismissed and in about 10 minutes we'll reconvene. Father, thank you that, that you have a kingdom and it is coming to bear upon the earth. It began in the person of Jesus who said, change your mind. And so, Father, we pray today that you would send us out with the certainty that we are men and women of the King. And, Lord, we do pray for our brothers and sisters, the Kurds, uh, uh, the Yazidi. Lord, we pray for peoples around the earth in Syria and Iraq specifically where they are being persecuted horrifically and killed, as we saw evidence of as we began this morning. So, Father, would you extend your kingdom there? Would you bring to bear your power and your might to accomplish your purposes on the earth? And all of God's people then said together, Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Uh, greet one another. Uh, hang out. Hug, hug each other. About ten minutes we'll start, and we'll just pray for a short season for those of you who would like to hang. You got a song you want to do?